Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Talk to EPL podcast here. I'm your host, Jack Nash, and I appreciate you joining us on our first ever episode here. Um, so quick breakdown of the show. Each week we're going to do about two interviews from correspondents that are living, breathing, covering uh, certain teams in the Premier League. This week we'll be joined by uh, at Gunnar Gimli, who follows Arsenal, and uh, at, our, at Ash Bellio, who... Um, follows and covers Manchester United for the United Stand podcast. So before we get to them, uh, we will I'll also give a you know a, a recap of the of the weekend or the week as well as uh, looking ahead before we get to the correspondence. And then each week as well we'll go into our hat trick segment which will cap off the show each week, which will be a a betting segment where we will uh, be joined by betting experts to talk about you know, three plays for the week or the weekend, the match week, uh, whatever it may be. So we got a double hat trick this week with uh, six picks with the midweek match week as well as the weekend slate. So let's just jump right to it here. For this first episode, we're just going to do a uh, top six kind of roundtable, top six roundup. And uh, we're all just going to go down the line here, just talking about each squad in the top six before we get to our interviews here. So let's start off first and foremost, obviously top of the table city here. Um, their weekend was, you know, an easy win at Cardiff. Um, kind of the storyline coming to that game, though, was the uh, Leroy Sané injury. They're up to nothing, 45th minute, an absolutely leg-snapping tackle. He's going to be out multiple weeks. And uh, that kind of brought into, you know, Pep brought it up post-game about, you know, the referees having to legislate these kind of ties differently. And the the case, the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, this is one of the glories of the FA Cup is you get the potential for upsets and, you know, lopsided matchups where, you know, big titans can fall. You know, so we almost saw, we almost saw Tottenham go down uh, on Saturday. You know, Harry Kane has to bail him out, but you know that's one of the beauty of it. But it's also the fact that you have such these lopsided matchups where teams, you know, have to play a different style. I mean, Cardiff doesn't want to come out and and play that that type of style for sure. Um, you know, if they're playing a level squad, but you know, in a situation like that, you know, especially down to nothing, it's frustration builds. You know, you're you're a step behind the ball all game long, um, and it's the same case where. You know the, the the side who is you know better than better than the uh, the squad they're matching up against. You know if they're if they're struggling, it's late in the game, they haven't scored, or frustration sets in. It's just a it's just odd um, with these such lopsided matchups. And I think you know this is kind of what Pep was stressing post match, and and the referees just have to legislate a little bit differently in these in these matchups because because of the. You know the complete lopsidedness as I spoke about, but also just just have the players know that none of that's going to be tolerated um, from the opening whistle. And just because it's a, a big squad going against a smaller squad, uh, you know cards are going to be flying out, and you know the game just needs to be legislated different than it would be if it was you know a regular EPL team taking on an EPL team, regular championship side taking on a championship side. Uh, the refs just need to do a, a do a job there to legislate the game differently. So uh, and. Just one more point here on City. Actually, two more points here on City. And um, the first one being with Pep's comments about, I just want to get the quote up here so we get it right. Don't misquote him. 
But he says there are salaries we cannot pay. There are budgets for transfers. There are benches, there are budgets for the transfers, and we cannot pay. And uh, you know, I just don't really get this fascination and this you know you know concentration that some of these coaches have on kind of downplaying the size of their club. I mean, it's not it's not a huge negative. I mean, Man City has splashed, and you know if they do sign Laporta, which all signs lead to that they will here in January. If he signs, it's 240 million Pep is spent just on defenders alone, which works out to 15 million a month on defenders since he's you know his time at City. And I, I and like I said, I just don't understand the you know what's the need for this this fixation on a kind of complaining and downplaying the money that they have. I mean, everyone can see the dollar amount, the you know the money amount, and um, there's just no need for him. I mean, you're a big club. Just own up to it. You're a big club. I don't see any upside as to downplaying that whatsoever. But if they do sign Laporta and Fred, because they've talked about Fred this month as well, could, you know, about three days left here in the transfer window. I do see probably both those uh, both those deals getting pushed through here. A legitimate lineup next season, and this is, this is what I want to touch on before we get to United is, is just the youth and you know the the quality of City and the squad that Pep's playing. This is not a squad. I mean, this is a squad that's at the top of Europe right now, but it's also a squad where you know you can really sustain success. Ederson, twenty three years old. Walker, twenty seven. Mendy, twenty three. Stones, twenty three. Laporta, twenty three. Fred, twenty four. KDB, twenty six. Bernardino, twenty three. Sane, twenty three. Sterling, 22. Jesus, 20. Look at that. I mean, besides Walker, Walker, 27. KDB at 26. Those are the oldest guys. And you have Fred at 24. Everyone else is 23 and under. And for the rest of Premier League, I mean, that is a scary, scary sight because the, you know, Pep is building a machine. He's not building a win now. Uh, I mean, they, they, they are. They're all, all their mindset right now is win now, but it's not with, you know, 27, 28 year old players it's with a young 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 core that's going to be around for a while he's building a juggernaut there and and you know it's just it's noteworthy that that age those ages right there i mean sterling's still 22 look at his dominance this season sane 23 you know, laporta they're bringing in at 20 at 23 you know, and he'll suit their game playing out the back mightily um ederson 23 it's just it's just a really really strong nucleus that that Pep's building that's still so so young. It's worth pointing out. So spin it over to United now. They have Spurs on Wednesday night, then Huddersfield and Newcastle. Uh, after that, we're gonna have Ash Burns. I think it's gonna be the first interview we'll play here for you. Um, whole talk obviously all United, all things United. He's from the United Stand podcast. Awesome awesome stuff. We'll we'll plug it for sure. And also Dak, Jack Critchie, who will come on talking bets. He's also got two bets midweek as well as on the weekend United. So I just want to you know be a little more brief on them. But with this bringing in Sanchez, um, you know, I think there's one thing that, you know, I'm not a, the biggest Sanchez fan. Obviously the talent's there. Uh, it's, it's, in his, it's in his locker for sure. It's just a matter of the attitude. And I think that as long as he's – you know, the attitude has changed. There was a little bit of concern of him being a bit of a cancer, causing tension in that Arsenal locker room, in that Arsenal dressing room. 
as long as he's coming to United with you know a fresh face and open mind and wanting to learn, one willing to adapt, willing to be a great teammate, I think it's a, it's this great, great, great signing for United. I just you know I'm curious to see how his mood, how his his attitude changes uh, with when in all signs you know it's thus far I've pointed to you know, good, good stuff. Um, but I think that's just it's noteworthy here. And, you know, also, which we'll talk to Ash Burns about, is what happens up front now. They have Lukaku, Sanchez, Martial, Lingard, Rashford. He's going to take away time from, you know, any any plethora of those players. And especially the young guys, Martial, you know, Lingard's 24, 25 now. But Rashford's still young. Is he going to stunt? Could his coming in stunt that, that potential growth? You know, obviously there's learning pains, growing pains, with Rashford this season, um, but Sanchez is going to be in the mix every single week in the eleven, you know, right there each and every week. Um, also, there's a lot of updates. So I'm just riding a bike in a tent. This you know recently posted, I think today or the day before. Don't know if he's even going to play another game in the Premier League. Could be MLS bound, uh, but he's another person up front to keep an eye on if he does come back. So I'm going to leave it there. For United, uh, just because we got a nice, heavy United slate, United correspondent uh, on the show a little bit later. Uh, so we're just rolling down the, the top of the table here. Chelsea, they are Bournemouth and Watford this week. Uh, you know, two very winnable games. They're five points clear of the top four, but they also still have to play every big six side except Arsenal. Um, so, you know, there's growing talk of Conte may leave after the year and, and, and it's just an odd it's odd I mean we saw with Moreno the year after they win the league pretty handedly um, they're just struggling to kind of build you know take their strengths and continue to build upon it um, obviously uh, Bottom Morata but Diago Costa leaves you know just it's just normally and it's so, so tough to repeat, and that's why it's worth worth noting. I mean, you still have to add. You have to add so much, and you have to, you know, it's you know, especially with the city side, that's, you know, the dominance that they displayed. It's just, it's very odd, and it, especially with the rumors of Conte leaving, just one year removed from winning at all. It's, just, you know, you don't see that very often, I don't believe. Um, you know, especially in different sports, you know, you win a, you win a title, you know, you're kind of insured that you're going to be there for the next two, three, four. You know, no matter how bad it gets, let alone if you're sitting in, you know, third place with 14 games to go. So not much else. You know, I I don't Chelsea's aside, I don't have super strong opinion on. They're going to have this five game stretch late in February, into early March. That's I think is going to really define their season. We'll talk similarly about Tottenham. Um. But late February, this is a tough five gamer, you know. Barcelona in Champions League, obviously. United, City, then a little bit of a respite with Palace, and then Barcelona again. So that five game stretch. Barcelona, United, City, all right, Palace, but then Barcelona again. So uh, we're definitely going to be getting a cor- uh, Chelsea correspondent on uh, during that time period, hopefully before that as well. Um, but I think that five game stretch, obviously, the Barcelona tie. It's going to be, you know, heavy, heavy stuff for them, heavy lifting for them. But also, United City, uh, back to back in the league, 
it could be, you know, you drop six, potentially six points there. Um, we'll look to see where they're at in the table there. I just think that's noteworthy going forward. So we'll leave it there for Chelsea. Down to Liverpool. Liverpool had a tough week. A tough week, honestly, after the the big city win that they almost you know let let slip away there for three. Obviously, they played fantastically going forward, but lose to Swansea midweek. Lose outright. Lose to Swansea, worst team in the league, and then lose at home in the FA Cup by one goal in the same round. They've lost the last. Well, including this year would be three years under Klopp. It's just uh, not, not, not good. And I think uh, you know, obviously, Coutinho leaves. He's was known to be a little bit the key that unlocked, you know, against these these lower tier sides, these lower table sides that did park the bus on them. And and you know, they did score early, first ten minutes. And normally that's a sign of great things because the other, the other, you know, the opposing team has to open up, and they did. And the defense was shambolic. I mean, it was it was terrible. Van Dyke had a really rough game. I mean, the defense all across the board had just a really, really bad game. And you know, and and you know, there's about three days left here in the transfer window. You lose Coutinho. And the other thing about in this. This West Brom loss over the weekend is the it's not, you know, FA Cup, all right, you know, on the face, okay, you know, got bounced in the FA Cup by a goal. I mean, for me, no, missed a penalty, you know. But, I mean, they had the full squad out there. The big front three, Chamberlain was out there. I mean, Van Dyke, Matip, as well as Moreno, Trey Alexander Arnold, Mingle. Legit side. I mean, uh, Emery Sean, Wynaldum. That's the big, big time eleven. I mean, it's not; they're not starting, you know, normal bench players, and, and they outright lose at home. Um, and I think, you know, a little bit of a timing because I mean, the question now is: three days left, drop two in a row. Just, you know, what what's going on with Klopp? Is he calling out to clubs across Europe? Saying it, I you know we I said we were said we were not going to do any more business in January, but after these two results, what's going on? And you know maybe maybe they're reopening talks. Um, that's kind of the question. What would you do? You don't want to panic buy in January, but you don't want to look back. You know when you finish fifth place outside the top four, and you know realize that there was one or two moves that could have been made in January, where either the money wasn't right or the player. A little bit of question of the player's fit. You don't want to look back on January with regrets. You're sitting in fourth right now. You know, and, and the signs are there that you know something is needed, a change is needed uh, with the last two with the last two games. And uh, I mean, they bring in Van Dyke this window, and, and Van Dyke came in so early. I mean, Jan one came in. It seems like almost you know three months ago at this point. But that's kind of. You know, you'd think that they'd be hanging their hat on a, a great January bringing Van Dyke in. Not only is he didn't play well Saturday, um, you know, just the last thing on the transfer thought process of these supporters and, and even the club is that you sold, you know, what's arguably, I mean, it's the best player, Coutinho. And 
they're not going to replace him, especially after dropping. I mean, not going to replace him in January. You have Kaita coming over in, you know, couldn't couldn't get him over here in January. He's going to be coming over in the summer. It's not a direct replacement for Coutinho. But, I mean, what does it say to the fan base where you sell big, big, big money Coutinho and not only do you not, you know, immediately or have a replacement in line in January, but after you lose two in a row, Swansea, West Brom, you're not you're not going to be active. So I wouldn't be surprised if we do see some movement, at least some rumblings where they try to get things over the line or make it seem as if they were trying to get things over the line as a result of these last two. I mean, I mean, this is Liverpool right now in a position where the next game can't come soon enough because they just want to get back. They want to get back on the winning way, which you can't blame them. But what do they do? Do they buy in, in almost what may seem like a panic uh, just because it seemed like they were closing up business with just bringing in VVD in January. So that's a, then I side we'll be looking very closely at here in the last few days of the January transfer window. The other quick takeaway I'll have on the Liverpool West Brom match is the VAR. And I know there's a lot of people, there's, I mean, both sides, it's, you know, especially on the, the anti VAR side, there's a lot of loud voices. And, and where I'm coming at, just so we can lay a little bit of baseline here on the pod, is I'm all about getting every possible call correct. I mean, it just seems simple. If you could have a call correct over incorrect, it, you, want it, you want it done right. Um, that being said, I mean, there needs to be a way more efficient way. I think the fact that they can somehow integrate the, that every call, at least important, important call in a game is correct. I think that's fantastic. It'll, you know, take away from games that are won on penalties late that, you know, shouldn't have been awarded or handballs and, and anything. Which I think is fantastic. I'm all, I'm, everyone's for getting it right. Um, but it's just way, way, way too slow. And, you know, we'll work out the kinks here. And, I mean, this is from the American, the American point of view is, I mean, with, with American football, is, you know, people like the replay, like the fact that the coaches can, you know, challenge. Um, don't think that needs to be implemented here just because there is only, you know, a handful, if not a little more, super impactful plays in a game, but it's just the the quickness in with which these decisions can get made. There's no reason why a guy sitting in a booth can't make a call within 60 seconds. Goal, no goal, offsides, not offsides. It's it's got to be quicker if they and and you know I like how it's being you know not in the league. It's in the FA Cup uh, currently. Um, but it just has to be quicker if it wants to hang around or else it's just going to be constantly, constantly plagued with negative feedback and negative you know, thought about it until they get it quicker. I mean, we, you know, Salah, just because we're talking specifically about this third pool game, Salah gets pulled down. Is it a penalty? You know, it's, the guy's got his, the ref's got the hand on the year for, two, three minutes, then he gets summoned over to the sideline to look at it on a screen, then he's looking on the screen for another. It's just terrible optics. The optics are just horrible, and there's no reason why 
someone with the authority to make the call can't be you know on the sideline in a booth in a, a center in London um just making the call so from there you know that's just that's my baseline take on VAR all right spinning over to Tottenham now um Newport County over the weekend you know Kane saves them Kane bails them out um you know they're going to play that match again um the my thought my one big thought here on Tottenham the Spurs is is just the reliance on Harry Kane. I mean, if Harry Kane has to play against Newport, it's just when is he going to rest? I mean, and then and, and and I think it, Pochettino's it's tough. I mean, because he doesn't have trust in the guy behind Kane, which I can understand why um, hasn't performed well at all. That being said, I mean, if like I said, if he's not, if you're not going to rest Harry Kane against Newport with the upcoming slate they had, it's because you know thought they might be looking ahead, and that's why you know this kind of this Newport you know, stumble was potentially going to happen. Um, you know, eighty, you know, at the 80th minute, you're thinking that okay. Um, that being said, I mean this upcoming schedule right here: United on Wednesday, then Liverpool on Sunday, then they have to play Newport again on a Wednesday, then Arsenal. Over the weekend, and Juventus on the Tuesday. So, I mean, between today, time of taping, and February 13th, it's United, Liverpool, another game against Newport that they have to play again, a replay. Arsenal, midweek. Oh, no, no, sorry. Arsenal on the weekend, and then Juventus. I mean, is there a, a tougher, let's see, one, two, not kind of a tougher four-game stretch you're going to find? United, Liverpool, Arsenal, Juventus. For, you know, we talked earlier about, what was that? Chelsea's uh, Chelsea's tough stretch with Barcelona, United City, Crystal Palace, then Barcelona. But, I mean, this is just between today and February 13th. United, let me say it again, United, midweek Wednesday, um, Jack Krejci is actually, our betting guy will be on a little bit later. He actually likes Tottenham to win that game out, right? He likes the value at least. Um, then Liverpool on Sunday. Now they got to play this new this replay at Newport. I mean, is Harry Kane going to rest then? Because he's not going to rest against United. He's not going to rest against Liverpool. I guess he's going to rest uh, you know, against Newport. But then they got to go back at the weekend, play Arsenal, and then Champions League. Juventus Tuesday. So, I mean, I just, I think it was a deliberate message. Um, you know, it wasn't, I don't think Poch was trying to send it, um, send a message or anything, but just the fact that Kane's got to be in that side against Newport with that upcoming schedule just shows the the reliance and, and the burden that they put on Kane here. Um, does he get burned out? I don't think so. I think he loves being out there. He got loves the game, obviously. Um, but, I mean, he gets nicked up. It's, it's just... It's, it's not good news for Tottenham. It's a side that's already in fifth place. You know, fight for the top four. Been second um, you know, last year, and then you know, looking to advance the Champions League. Have a very tough, very very tough draw with Juventus, who finished second, I believe, last year. And so that's my one takeaway. Tottenham, another side. And do they bring in a striker 
uh, behind Keane in the next three days. I don't know. They've been rooming with a couple of different guys, not particularly strikers. Um, let's aside, sitting at fifth right now, you know, if they don't make the Champions League, they don't finish top four, uh, what does that mean for Harry Kane? And so I think that's what they got to be thinking. We need at all costs to win. I mean, that's what all these big six sides are thinking. We need to finish in the top four. And um, so maybe games against Newport are not the time to be having your boy Harry Kane out there, you know, playing 90 minutes. When you have United, Liverpool, same week, and Arsenal and Juventus briefly after that. So that's my little Tottenham talk there. And then uh, we, we're talking to Gunnar at Gunnar Gimli about Arsenal uh, coming up in the show here. But I'll just give a little, little touch of Arsenal here. Um, Sanchez, obviously Sanchez is the big thing with Arsenal. Sanchez leaving. I think getting Mkhitaryan for him is just beautiful business. I mean, because what, in three days, and this is what uh, Gimli actually said. I mean, three days, he's and in January, he's worthless. He's going to walk. Um, so just to get anything for him. It's fantastic business, but let alone a guy who, yeah, I mean, hasn't hasn't flourished to his fullest potential at United. Um, but we've seen, I mean, 2015-2016 at Dortmund, just magical, magical, magical stuff. And, you know, he has it, and he gets a, gets a fresh start. Uh, there's a classic interview where he said he wanted to play for Arsenal one day. Um how much of that is right now? I'm not sure, but he's in the club. He's in the side now. And I just think it's, you know, Sanchez, like we talked about Sanchez earlier. I talked about Sanchez earlier. You know, change of attitude, change of change of you know, thought process, you know, dressing room for him going to United. I think the same for Mkhitaryan, who never really, like I said, blossomed at United. He gets a fresh start here. New teammates are going to be happy to see him there. I mean, not exactly from a skill standpoint, not exactly thrilled to see Sanchez lead the side, but from a from a tension standpoint, a dressing room standpoint, absolutely happy to see him go. I mean, especially with the contracts that now they're not him and not agreeing the terms. He was gonna walk. So you have this guy coming in, an actual person, not just getting money for Sanchez, who's who's got tremendous, tremendous upside. I think it's great business by them. And and this is what Gunnar Gimli will talk about. Um is what does this mean for the Aubameyang situation? I think at all costs, and, and then Gimli thinks that he believes strongly that they're going to go and get Aubameyang. Um, but the connection that they had that 2015, 2016 season, if this, if this increases their odds of getting Aubameyang, no, 5% even, it's beautiful for him by having Mkhitaryan. So that, that, that's a quick, just a little Arsenal touch. That's top six, you know, a little wrap around here. Um, got Gunnar Gimli, like I said, as well as Ash Burns from the United Stand Pod. All right, now I'd like to welcome to the podcast our Manchester United correspondent, Ash Burns. Ash is the co-host of the United Stand Podcast. You can follow Ash on Twitter at Ash B-O-I-O, and you can follow the podcast as well uh, at United Stand Pod on Twitter. So, Ash, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Jack. Awesome. So uh, before we hop into, you know, all things United here, tell us a little bit about your background with Covering United and, and the podcast you guys put out as well. 
yeah so it's um yeah it's a little little bit of a, a long story i won't go too much into it but yeah just uh, i've been a united fan all my life um grew up sort of uh, not not far from from sort of liverpool manchester that that sort of area um yeah moved around a bit and just always followed united always played football and um as i sort of uh, you know grew academically and 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 bits and pieces like that i started writing for for different websites for the united stand as well and, and other other places as well um many it was just uh, just sort of got invited onto the podcast one week and uh, me and paul uh, the co-host my the co-host who, uh, who hosts the podcast with me we just sort of you know got a little bit of a rapport going and uh, ended up a weekly gig so yeah i've been doing that for about 18 months now i think and it's uh, it's good we get i think we get up to about um to between sort of 1500 and 3000 listeners a week so it's uh, yeah it's, it's going awesome. pretty good and when do you guys yes. release the pod? Yeah. No, people keeps people on. Um, every sort of uh, every Monday night, um, usually we, we record on a Monday, um, around about sort of half past seven, and then yeah. uh, it gets uh, sort of turned around really, really quickly. Um, and it's usually out by about half past eight, nine p.m. Then UK time uh, on a Monday evening. Sometimes it varies. Obviously, if there's Champions League matches mm-hmm. or, or sort of Monday uh, Monday night matches, then it'll it might go on Tuesday or Wednesday. But yeah, mo- most of the time Monday, sort of uh, eight nine p.m. Awesome, and you can like I said, you can follow that on Twitter at United Stand Pod for anyone who wants to check it out here. So uh, let's hop into all things United here. So first and foremost, let's talk about uh, Mourinho's extension here and, and what your take on him is and and the deal to keep him around till at least twenty twenty. Yeah, it's. Um I won't say it's a surprise because um, you, you know when you when you follow United and you get the feeling um, that I think he has around the club and everything at the moment. Um, he, he does look as as grumpy as he is. I, you know, we know as United fans, he's, he's not the most exuberant manager uh, in the yeah. Premier League, but um, he does seem sort of quite happy at the moment. Um, he, there was sort of a, a little spell maybe a couple of months ago where he looked a little bit fed up, um, and then all of a sudden it sort of turned. I don't know if that was a Sanchez saga that brought that through, but he looks a lot more positive. So. Whether he's had additional backing from the board, um, you know, they've discussed his future and maybe the direction of the club and, and you know, and backed him in the way he wants to take it. Um, he's looked a lot more positive. So, yeah, him signing a contract, I think, is is great for us um, because, you know, th- there's been a lot of discussion about, um, obviously, after Sir Alex left, you're never going to replace Sir Alex. Um, but, you know, mm-hmm. we had Moyes, then Van Hal, um, and a lot of people still question... Um, whether or not we've improved. Um, and I think it, it's absolutely clear to see that, you know, we're, we're second in the Premier League. Um, you know, we have not la- haven't lost that many games. Yes, we struggle in the in the um, in the Carabao Cup, uh, but we're still in the Champions League. Got a very good chance of go- uh, progressing against Sevilla. Sevilla. Um, you know, we've, yeah, that's it. we've just, you know, we just signed a, a world-class player, um, you know, added to a, a very, very good squad. I don't think the squad's there yet. Um, but yeah, we're, we're really delighted that um, he can continue. And it's, it, yeah, it was, uh, the only reason I mentioned the word surprise is because we all know Mourinho is usually a three-season man. Um, yes. But he's committed for another, another two years uh, now and you know it should take him past the three years and he looks dedicated so um the general consensus among uh, among united fans is yeah that, that we're ecstatic that he's staying and uh, yeah may it may it long continue yeah and you talked about obviously bring sanchez in here talk about the signing of sanchez and what you think uh, that does for the team for the side um yeah for, for me I've, I've always been a big big fan it's no it's, it's sort of no secret i think he's one of the best players in the premier league um and I think what it does is because, you know, our defence, 
it has been pretty solid. Um, but I think one thing that we've really struggled with in the final third, um, you know, yes, we haven't been as frustrating as we were last season and the season before, but we've lacked that maturity and experience up front. You know, we play the likes of Martial and Rashford. Um, Lukaku is still sort of fairly young as well at 24. Um, and I think it's it's that sort of that clinical cutting edge and, and that experience to, to either make a pass or, you know, make a decision because Rashford, Ashford's decision-making this season has been very, very poor. He's going through a bit of a, a tough spell at the moment. Uh, Martial is still very young. So to bring someone in, not only with his quality, but with his experience, I think will only sort of elevate the performances of the others around him. Um, and I think we've already heard from from some players in training that he's really sort of up the uh, up the level of training. You know what we've been you know, within the club. Um, and I think the likes of, you know, the, your Rashford, your Lingards, your Martials, I think they're only going to benefit from from playing every day alongside someone of, of his quality and his experience. So, um, yeah, it's, it's I can see only positives. I know, obviously, the, the numbers that are being thrown around are, are ridiculous, but it's a ridiculous sort of, uh, it is a ridiculous world at the moment in terms of football and, and uh, player salaries. So, yeah, I'm just glad to have him on board. And I think he'll, he'll, bring us a real cutting edge in the final third that we've been missing in some games this season yeah and and you know one of the pieces that was kind of in supposed to be in that final third and and, and helping in that situation was Mkhitaryan and he kind of just yeah. filled out here and then obviously he's now out the door with the Sanchez swap talk about briefly about his stint uh, with United and, and kind of you know put a bow on it with him headed out yeah, it's um, it was a, it was a weird one with Mkhitaryan because uh, you know we'll never forget what he did for the club last season. He performed so so well in the Europa League, um, you know, single-handedly dragged us through games at times. So uh, I know a lot of fans who were glad to see the back of him. Personally, I'm not. I was I was a fan of Mkhitaryan, um, although it, it, he did seem to sort of uh, peter out at the end of his uh, end of his United career. Um, he started the season so so well. Um, you know, he was top of the assist charts for for quite a while. Um, he had five assists in his first three games or something like that um, and he, he started really well and I think the system we played there was a lot more fluid uh, and it suited him and I think he sort of came into his own towards the end of games um, mm-hmm. but as the season has gone on I think as the competition um, all around um, sort of has evened out across the Premier League um, yeah I think he, he struggled with it um, and, and I don't know what it was whether it was the intensity catching up with him um, or was it you know maybe uh, Mourinho's you know choice of uh, you know playing with two wide players and, and really depending on either Yamata or uh, Jesse Lingard sort of of late coming into that number 10 role um, whether he saw his opportunities you know decrease a little bit and you know, he's, he's a top-class player, but I really don't think he's going to suit the system that we look to be taking forward with us for the future now. Um, but, yeah, I, I wish him all the luck. I really think he'll fit a lot better at, um, at Arsenal. I think Arsene Wenger will get a lot more, more out of him than Mourinho did because, uh, you know, with with uh, Arsene Wenger's more fluid system, I think he'll really suit that. And being alongside the likes of um, Ozil and, you know, there's talk of Aubameyang, so if they can get that link back as well, that could be very successful for them. Uh, for them. So, yeah disappointed that, that he's left but you know i'd have traded him for sanchez every day of the week so uh, I'm, I'm not too upset yeah and uh you know he obviously did 2015 2016 season with Aubameyang in you know, dortmund was unforgettable yeah, exactly um, yeah, but yeah, you mentioned lingard there and kind of the emergence of him talk about i mean he's been he's taken by storm a little bit here uh, talk about kind of his yeah. emergence this year and uh, what why you believe he's been so successful uh, well i really don't think there's 
there's been enough made of this because you know we we talk about um you know developing players and and a lot has been made of um of Pep Guardiola with Raheem Sterling um, and how well he's developed him but I very rarely see sort of um you know the media or anything pick up on you know how good a job Mourinho was done with Jesse Lingard um and yeah he's been a revelation I think um, myself and um Paul my, my co-host on the podcast were a little bit skeptical um, about Lim- Lingard because he has done it in the past in flashes that you know he's had a, a really good game or one or two games and then he's sort of he's faded away into the background again but yeah he seems to be sustaining that level of performance and I think um, because we play him a little bit more centrally at the moment um, he, he really seems to have upped his game and it was interesting to read an interview from Sir Alex Ferguson I think it was in 2011 or 2012 um, where he said that Jesse Lingard is a fantastic number 10 and I think he, he is going to be a late bloomer so when he gets to the age of around 24-25 that's when you're going to see him at his best and you know the, the kid's 24-25 and uh, mm-hmm. that, that's when we're seeing his best so um, I think we, we've sort of got a term that we, we say that uh, um, in the United Stand where, where we do our podcast is we are riding the Lingard wave um, yes. as we go That's along awesome. because um, I don't think he's he's a world-class player um, whether he's got the p- potential to be that or not I don't know but w- while he is in this form um, and, and he's playing so well, well we'll keep playing him and we'll keep riding this wave because um, he, he's been sort of a revelation this season and it's really refreshing to see you know a local lad absolutely loves the club um, and getting consistent games and consistently performing as well. You know, bagged another goal last night, a great run and finish again. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's really refreshing to see. And, you know, with the with the introduction of Sanchez now, um, it could free up a little bit of space because we know that Sanchez loves to press and, and stretch defences. So it could give him a little bit more room in that number 10 uh, spot to, to pick his passes and make little runs. So, yeah, it's uh, very, very good for Lingard and I'm, I'm really glad for the lad. Awesome. And, and you talk about Sanchez coming in this side now. There's you know a little bit of a log jam as far as attacking talent, which is a good good problem to have. But you have you have Lingard, like you said, you have Lukaku, you have uh, Martial, Rashford. Um, you know what kind of what, for you? What's the ideal eleven? What's the ideal formation right now? You need to go out and win a game tomorrow uh, with United. What's your what's your ideal setup? Um, well, we've played we've played a couple of formations this season. Um, we've done the three five two or the five three two, however you want to look at it. I'm not the biggest fan of that. Um, we tend to do that when we're you know playing a little bit more defensively against the better teams. But for me, I think we've got to play a four three three, and the sole reason for that is Paul Pogba. I think when when he is on form and he's played in the right position, he just makes the team tick. Um, so a four three three, obviously um, David de Gea in goal. Uh, you're probably looking at maybe Valencia at right back. Um, Luke Shaw at left back for me because I think he, he's done well in the time that Ashley Young was out um, and I think he's he's the best left back for, at the club um, if it was tomorrow ooh, maybe uh, Marcus Rojo and Phil Jones um, although if, if Eric Bailly was fit I, I'd probably yeah, pick him as well that's a, that's a um, yeah um, and then I'd probably go with Matic um, holding um, alongside now this is tough because I, I really believe that we need another central midfielder because I I said this yesterday funny enough that without Paul Boromatic I believe we've got, got one of the most sort of the weakest midfield in the Premier League one of the weakest anyway mm-hmm. um, but at the moment, I'd probably go Matic maybe alongside Herrera and then play Pogba as sort of a floating role across that midfield. Play him as, as a number 10, basically. Um, but, you know, allow him to drift like he did at Juventus on that left-hand side. He was so, so effective. Um, mm-hmm. And really let him dictate the play in the final third from there. And then Lukaku up top um, with Rashford, uh, sorry, with Martial on the left and Alexis Sanchez on the right. That's That would be my ideal 11 and how I'd set up. 
Got it, got it. So even even Lingard can't uh, can't find his way into the eleven right now for you. Yeah, it's. I think it's, it's you know as well as he's done. Yeah, it is. It's very tough, and it's a good problem to have. Yeah, but um, especially with large when you've got the. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. You've, you've got to be able to rotate. But with with you know Pogba when he's on form, I think there's there's very very few um, midfielders in the world um, that can match him for his technical uh, technical ability and his and his vision um, and his drive as well. Because I think he's so good at running through the midfield, um, carrying the ball, and bringing other players into the game. So yeah. Lingard Absolutely. misses out for me, and Rashford misses out. Yeah, um, because I think he, he really needs to up his game, Rashford, at the moment uh, in the current form that he's in. Got it. We talk a little, talking a little bit about the future here. You know, we'll have you on. You know, a few, a few, uh, a few times every couple of weeks here, just getting a little uh, United update here. But talk about just going forward here. Uh, do you see any chance United? I mean, falling out of the top four would be absolutely devastating for where they're at now. Uh, or making a yeah. chase at City, uh, making a chase at Man City here. Uh, they still have to play every other uh, top six club this season which yep. is good where they can make up points but it's also tough um, you know where do you see kind of the rest of the the broad view here of the Premier League season for them um, I think yeah I, I said this at the start of the season that I think it was I thought it was going to be Man City's year um, for the league it certainly looks that way um, it's gonna it looks very very unlikely that they're gonna crumble um, mm-hmm. so I probably still stick with Man City for the league even if we did you know win the majority of our games we're still gonna you know, hit hurdles, of course, which every team does. Um, and I think City have, have got the squad and got the depth and quality to, to get them over the line. Um, that being said, um, I think we should be comfortable in the top four. Um, and I think it's going to be interesting to see after Wednesday evening, um, the Spurs game. Um, because I think if we win that game, if I'm not mistaken, I'm not quite sure um, how this works. I'm sure we're 11 points clear of fifth place. Um, so we've got a little bit of a buffer there yes, within the top four. Yeah, um, and I'm I'm assuming that top four, you know, it, it should be our it should be the bare bare minimum. Um, I'm hoping we'll finish second if we continue the way we've been playing and the other teams around us, um, you know, being inconsistent. Um, I, I really think we can nail that second spot and then maybe you know in the Champions League you never know. Of course, I'm not expecting us to win it um, because there's a lot of a lot of quality uh, in there. But, you know, I'd like to see maybe a quarterfinal, maybe even a semifinal uh, push and then, you know, go all out for the FA Cup as well. That's probably our most likely source of silverware this season. Um, but the FA Cup is the FA Cup. It's never straightforward. But uh, yeah, so try and try and take a try and take a run at the FA Cup and then maybe second and third and a quarterfinal semifinal in the Champions League. And yeah, that'd Champions be League uh, has so much season. to do with kind of who you draw too. So it's so tough yeah. to uh, kind of predict that. But but Ash, thank you so much. We really appreciate it coming on. We'd like to get your updates throughout the season here and uh, want to promote the great work that you're doing. So on Twitter, it's Ash, B-O-I-O, and uh, the podcast yep. as well is at United Stand Pod. So check it all out Monday nights. Normally they're releasing it there, and uh, we really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. It's been uh, been good fun, and yeah, look forward to uh, speaking to you in the future. All right, now joining the Talk the EPL podcast is a Arsenal correspondent here. It's going to be our Arsenal correspondent for the ongoing future. It's, his Twitter name is at Gunnar Gimli. Uh, we're going to call him Gimli for this one. Uh, Gimli, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Awesome, awesome. So give the listeners, just before we get into some recent Arsenal news, uh, a background on you and a great podcast you have and, and the account that you run. Um, well, I am. Um at Guna Gimli, or the podcast that I run is at the AFC Podcast, and we're at Burkamp Wonderland. Um, we've been going for about five years now. Um, we won a podcasting award back in, I think it was about 2013 or 14. Um, we 
do a weekly show on Arsenal and cover all the topics. Um, we we have a blog and a, a radio show that goes out 10 minutes after the game as well. Um, and there's about, I think it's last count, about 15 of us in total. Um, but we set out the podcast to be like you were sitting down in a pub, just having a chat about your football team. And uh, we're all friends. We all catch games. We all, we all see each other at the games. And um, it's just nice to sit down once a week and, and have a chat with friends about Arsenal as frustrating as it is at times. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And we uh, will definitely promote all your work. And uh, but we're getting focused back on Arsenal here. We can't we can uh, overlook and we got to start with this Alexis Sanchez situation. Talk about your take on the whole saga. Maybe even give the listeners a little timeline because you know, you've been in the nitty gritty of all this as well as your take on him leaving. Um, I think my take on him leaving is it's... Um it's it's sad to see him go because he is a hell of a player. But on the other side of the coin, um, it's also quite refreshing to see him leave because you can tell from the amount of players that wished him good luck, which was, I think it was just Mustafi on Instagram, um, that there was clearly tensions there amongst the squad. Um, players have come out since and tweeted that it's having the squad as one, doing it for the badge kind of thing, which kind of... Uh, points towards the fact that he was uh, maybe a bit of a rogue in the dressing room. Um, I think from my point of view with it, I'm just glad because in about another six or seven days, um, he would have been worth absolutely zero for us. So to get Henrik Mkhitaryan in, um, I know a bit controversial from the fan base because maybe some of us don't know who he is. Um, I know him from his time at Dortmund where he was particularly good. Um so I think to get some kind of return on him, any way, shape or form, is is fantastic. It's a good bit of business for the club. Yeah, and uh, you know, I saw you tweeting about kind of the, the fact that not, not a lot of teammates, you know, wished, wished Alexis uh, good luck on his endeavors at United, obviously. And, and it was a little bit different than another January exit they had, that they had, um, right? Yeah, I, I believe you about the World Cup for about 12 years 12-13 years I think Um, never fully fulfilled himself in an Arsenal shirt but Mm -hmm. at the same time um, he's given us some great moments there was a goal against Newcastle that was particularly special Um, he scored in a cup final scored over 100 goals for Arsenal made over 300 appearances Um, maybe a bit too strong to call him a legend but certainly a bit of a cult hero I think we all had great things for him but again with that one you're right all the all the members of the club the squad players um, wished him well said it was a pleasure to play alongside him and just what a nice guy he was because he was a really nice guy and someone that lifted the dressing room awesome and you, and you talked you know you touched on Mkhitaryan the return for Alexis Sanchez talk about him more a little more in depth what you're looking for we're looking forward about having him in the squad and and you know for those Arsenal fans who don't know much about him and his, his success you know about 2015-2016 in Dortmund you know what what we can expect you know for him in the side um I, th- I think what you've got to look for him for I don't think any of us truly know what position that he's going to come in and play for I think he plays as a right winger but he can play anywhere across the front line um some have said that he, he could be coming in for Mesut Ozil I don't think he is um Arsene Wenger's insinuated that he could use him in that Cazorla role because I think it's clear to all of us that Cazorla will probably not play a game in an Arsenal shirt again. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the brightness behind this transfer comes from another one in Aubameyang. Um, and I see, as I've already said, the, the link-up play they had in his last year at Dortmund Amazing. Um, 
when it was it was just crazy numbers. The assists were crazy. The goals were crazy. Um, and I think from people that have watched that, they're just all kind of hoping that maybe Arsene Wenger and those two players can reignite that kind of form again. Yeah, and yeah, and let's touch on the Aubameyang situation here. Where where is it at right now, and how do you think it's going to end up? Um, last time I heard, I think it's a case that the player wants out at Dortmund. Um, Dortmund are resigned to the to losing the player. Um, they are looking at Sevilla, um, Sevilla, but I think, um, but I think it's a case of Arsenal have got to pay the money. Um, we can draw similarities from the transfer with Xhaka um, when we offered about 15 million less and it rumbled on and it rumbled on. It didn't look like it was going to happen until Arsenal did identify that he was the man that they wanted and, and they had to stump up the cash. And I think this is going to be a very similar one to that. I think it's going to roll on perhaps another couple of days. Um, but I think Arsenal have their head scout um we've got miss tat over there we've got miss tat over there which is you know our, our, our new head of scouting mm-hmm. um we've got the contracts guy over there and of course ivan gazidis is over there at the moment as well and i think it leaves massive question marks underneath the club if you have those people sent over there um and they are blatantly pictured now whether how much of that being a pr stunt i don't know um but they were pictured over there, and it shows that there is a clear interest from Arsenal. It would be devastating if it didn't happen, but I think with everything that's happened to this point, it looks certainly, from my point of view, that it definitely will. But like I said, I think um, keep your hopes up. We just might have to wait another couple of days. Awesome. So, yeah, so gun to your head, you think it gets done this transfer window in January? So angry, mm-hmm. um, so angry. Performance against Chelsea. Lacazette is a good Chelsea. Lacazette is uh, Chelsea. For me, all class striker. Six pounds is why well, it's cheap. Yeah. Pull the trigger done. Spend the money. Pull the trigger. Get it done. Spend the money. Let trigger. Get it done. Spend the money. Let's get him here and let's kick on. Get him here and let's kick on. Awesome and, and let's kick on. Awesome and, and awesome and, and so now. Awesome and so now and so now so now take so now take me through kind of take me through kind of the side take me through kind of the side take me through kind of the side take me with kind of the side you know with with Mikita side and and then with Mkhitaryan coming in and then how you would like to see kind of the the best eleven lineup with Mkhitaryan and then and then also maybe with Mkhitaryan and Aubameyang. Um, I, I, again, if, if we can get Aubameyang over the line, mm-hmm. I would like to see us play two up front. And there's a lot of negativity towards that on, on Twitter. But I think we should we should go back to the old four four two style. Um, maybe push the wingers a, a bit further forward, although you'd be struggling. Does Mesut Ozil go on the left wing? Mm-hmm. Um, there was talk of Thomas Lamar. Um, and on the right wing, I, I think Mkhitaryan with Lacazette and Aubameyang up front. And then you've got the choice of uh, if you play Mesut Ozil maybe a little bit further forward and you have someone like either Granit Xhaka or Jacques Wilshere um, in, in the centre of midfield. But there's a load of selections that you could get from the players coming in. And I'm certainly glad that I've not got to pick them. But then again, mm-hmm. I'm not paid £10 million a year to do that, Exa- am I? Exactly. Um, but I think in terms of defence as well, it picks itself, uh, obviously checking goal mm-hmm. um, and Kolasinac or Monreal left back, probably on form at the moment. Monreal is uh, is playing off the charts yes, with the is. two centre-backs as Mustafi and Koscielny. Bearing in mind Koscielny has got a, an Achilles injury, if you can keep him fit, maybe rotate him and, and Rob Holding with uh, Bellerin as a right-back. 
Got it. And now, you know, we, you, you mentioned Ozil a lot here in Wilshire. Talk about, you know, how you, both contracts expire right at the end of the end of the season here. Talk about how you see the relationship um, with Arsenal unfolding for those guys. Well, I certainly think that the fans be far more angry at losing a Mesut Ozil than they would do an Alexis Sanchez. Uh, Jack is an Arsenal boy. Um, he's always been an Arsenal boy. I think all he really wanted was a, a decent go in, in the team. Um, I think he's been given that. Um, but with Jack Wilshire, the main thing is injuries. If he can stay injury-free and fit, he is in the first eleven for me anyway. Mm. Um I, I think there are rumours already going around that he is close to taking a pay cut and signing uh, with incentives on how much he plays and what they win, which I think for a player that's been injury prone is, is perfectly fair. But I would have been happy to to pay him exactly the same as what he is now and, and maybe give him a three-year contract and see how that pans out. Um, in terms of Mesut Ozil, we've seen lots of cryptic tweets in the last couple of days from him, um, from travelling on the tube, um, He's uh, tweeting about his new house that he's bought in London. Um, he's tweeted in the last couple of days as well how much he loves London. I don't think he's going to leave. Um, whether that's a naivety, I could see it a mile off with Sanchez. I, I don't see the same with Ozil. I think if you pay him what he's willing to pay, uh, what he's what he's willing to accept, which I think will be around the two hundred and eighty, three hundred thousand pound mark. Um, I think he'll sign. The only question mark with him is, uh, is he like Theo Walcott playing for a new contract like he did with the last one? Um, because we've seen Mesut Ozil has been unplayable um, the last few months. But let's just hope if he does, and I'll touch wood with that one, that if he does sign a new contract, um, that he doesn't go back to going missing in big games. If if we get Mesut Ozil what we have now, then I'll be more than happy to sign him up for 300 grand for the next four years and, and make it so. Mm-hmm. And and uh, now let, let's just circle back to kind of you know on the field and also in the Premier League here, um, you know Arsenal right now five points back of the top four with uh, with fourteen games to play. Tottenham and Liverpool obviously in front of them. Um, they still play Spurs, United, City on the schedule. Already played Liverpool a second time, but kind of where do you handicap their chances of finishing in the top four? To be honest with you. I think it's very slim that we're going to finish in the top four this year. Mm. Um, I think the squad is very light. We've seen Ox go, Walcott go, Coquelin go. Um, I'm, I'm sure there are others. Let me think from the top. Obviously, Sanchez has gone as well. Um, I don't think there are any more rumoured. I think there are maybe a couple of offers on the table for for Debushi. Um but we see uh, possibly Evans, possibly Aubameyang and Mkhitaryan coming in. I think the squad is very weak at this moment in time. Um, I think that shows by some of the substitutions and the benches that he's been putting out in the last couple of games. It does come down to injuries. If we can avoid key injuries, it'll be close. Um, but I think to to put all your eggs in one basket and hope that you're in, going to avoid injuries for the rest of the season, I think you're a bit delusional. I think it's going to happen regardless. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think, yeah, the squad, I think, is just a tiny little bit weak um, to maybe make top four. Um, and and a, a little bit of depth, you, a little bit of a depth uh, you know, issue there. Yes, like you're saying. yeah, of course. I mean, the, some of the names that are on the bench at the moment, I, I just think, if we do get an injury in that department on the pitch, what are you going to do if you have to chuck him on? Yeah. I mean, 
technically they're not bad players, um, and most of them are youth players. Reese Nelson can come on and do a job for you, but he, he hasn't got any pedigree. He needs to have that game time, and the game time isn't the Premier League when your back's up against the wall for a result. Um, uh, I think Europa for that is a perfect game for him, but I don't think there are two that aren't ready, and I think Maitland-Niles is another one that makes the benches. You've seen him hovering around first team. I don't quite think he's ready. Um, in the same way that I think Awobi is another one. Um, can be decent. Not being great this season. Probably deserves a loan out. But is on our bench. I think that tells you all you need to know. Yeah, and he, and he touched on Europa League. Let's talk a little bit about that. Because that is going to it's gonna you know add more more games of the fixture list and, and, you know, be more susceptible to injuries. But, you know, right now, on in the, you know, the book he's got, Arsenal second second favorite behind Atletico Madrid to actually win the Europa League. Talk about that competition, where they're at right now, and, you know, what you see the prospects of them going forward with it. Um, I think it depends what way you look at it, really. Up to now, we've played a second-strength team mm-hmm. in that competition. It's been mostly youngsters, um, and, and, and we've got our behind handed to us on one occasion um, when we didn't put a, a good enough squad out. Um, I think it depends a lot, like I said, on injuries, um, on how many of them are going to play. And of course, it depends on the run itself. We could have a really easy run to the final or we could get someone like a Dortmund or, or an Atletico um, nice and early and it'd be curtains. I'd like to think that we do something in the competition this year. Um I see. I don't want to come on and sound negative, mm-hmm. but I think Atletico are, are a much better outfit than we are, um, and I, I think we'd struggle to beat them. But you know, it's a cup competition; anything can happen on its day. Um, so, but I think we'll be there or somewhere about. Got it. And and you know, before we we shut it down here, kind of just give me a little bit of you know something that you're looking at, you're looking forward to, or you're looking for within the side, you know, for the rest of this Premier League season in in the Europa League. Just something that you know listeners can can watch out for that you know you're you're really keeping a close eye on going forward. A lot of it depends on uh, if we can sign Aubameyang. Like mm-hmm. I said, I think uh, the link-up play, he is so massive to it being a really successful summer and maybe things happening on the pitch that would astound all of us and, and, and make us believe as a fan base again. Um, Obama Young coming in. I also think for all the people that have written off Lacazette, I, I, I don't believe you could do that with a player in his first season. I think Lacazette's going to have a... a, a a brilliant second half of the season um, and I think we're going to see him score plenty of goals uh, I, I do think he's going to be the new Henri um, so I think what we can watch out for is lots of goals from Lacazette uh, Mkhitaryan and Aubameyang linking up superbly and assisting him and plenty of goals if it happens um, there's plenty of to be positive about but there's still plenty of work to be done so come on Arsenal pull your socks up Awesome, awesome. And, uh, you know, before we shut it down, let's, uh, you know, give us the listeners one more time. Twitter Twitter handle for you, you know, the, the podcast you guys do. Just plug it one more time so that we can make sure, you know, every Arsenal fan that listens gets directed to that as well. Yes, I am at Guna Gimli um, on Twitter. And the podcast I do is a Burkamp Wonderland. And we are at the AFC podcast. So go and give us a follow and say hi. And, and we'll give you a follow back. Awesome. You know, I really appreciate you coming on and look forward to doing this, you know, about two times a month, getting the Arsenal update from from one of the best. Thank you very much, Gimli. It's been a pleasure. I look forward to coming back. Thank you. Thanks.
All right, joining us now on Talk to EPL is Jack Critchley. Jack is a broadcaster and commentator for ITN Signal, William Hills Betting TV, and In Play Radio. He's also a football betting writer for That's a Goal and ICS, ICS amongst others. Uh, Jack's going to be joining us each week um, to give three betting three three tips of betting advice um for for the lineup of games we're actually going to get a, a double segment here because we're going to have the midweek slate as well as the weekend lineup uh next weekend so uh, first and foremost jack welcome and thanks for coming on yeah thank you very much for having me it's uh, it's good to be on the podcast awesome and now just uh, before we get into it tell listeners kind of where they can follow your work where they can follow you on twitter and uh you know a little bit about your background and what you do Yes, no problem. Well, I uh, I work for various uh, firms, as you heard, as you read out there, broadcasting, uh, doing a bit of commentating and looking at odds as well on uh, various stations. So I uh, see a lot of uh, football matches, see a lot of teams across various different levels. And uh, I also run my own betting blog as well. Uh, my work can be found either at the website that'sagoal.com, where I write uh, match previews and accumulated tips on there, or my own betting blog, which is uh, at Jack of All Tips. It's all one word on Twitter. And uh, I'm sure if you just hunt hard enough on the internet, there are various uh, articles that I've uh, written over the past couple of years. Awesome, awesome. So, yeah. Uh, and it's, um, say that one more time. It's Jack of All What? It's uh, at Jack of All Tips. Jack it's my own betting blog. So awesome. we do football primarily, but uh, also got some darts and some horse racing and tennis on there as well. Love it, love it. So you do a lot of match previews, and that's where we want to kind of get your insight here each week on the pod. Uh, about yep. Let's talk about the midweek lineup this week. Give me uh, the first thing you're looking at on the sleep. Well, there's three games on the Tuesday, and then the remainder of them take place on the Wednesday. Mm-hmm. And there was only really one that caught my eye on uh, Tuesday, because the others I thought were going to be fairly tight and quite hard to call. But uh, this is the match uh, taking place between West Ham and Crystal Palace mm-hmm. at the London Stadium. It's a 7.45 kickoff on the Tuesday, and I just felt, looking at the odds here, that uh, the goals were a bit overpriced, so uh, I'm going for over two and a half goals in this particular match. I think this one could be a really lively affair. Palace, of course, will want to bounce back from being battered 4-1 at the hands of Arsenal last time out, whereas West Ham, under David Moyes, he came in and he's tightened them up at the back, and then, all of a sudden, now they're kind of off the leash a bit, mm-hmm. and I feel with a few January signings, they are starting to score a few goals. Okay, you've got you know you've got questionable players there who won't always dig in and give you 100%, but when they are on song, West Ham, uh, they can score a fair few goals. And Crystal Palace don't keep many clean sheets on the road. Yes, they're, they're very good at home, but away, they are quite leaky. So I just felt as though you know this was maybe one to have a look at the goals rather than call an outright. I quite like uh, three or more goals in this one. Awesome. So that's Tuesday night, and now uh, so you're saying you have two on Wednesday you're looking forward to? Yeah, two on Wednesday. Um, this first one is uh, Leicester to beat Everton. Really? Uh, Leicester are a decent price as well. They're at home. Um, they have, uh, at the time of recording, already cemented their place in the next round of the FA Cup with a convincing win at Peterborough. But Leicester in the Premier League, if you look at their form, they haven't conceded a goal in their last three matches. They've kept three consecutive clean sheets. And Claude Puel's side not only have power and pace going forward, but they're also showing that they can keep it tight and solid at the back. So Leicester to beat Everton. Everton, just a side I don't really rate at the moment. And I'm not sure their fans do either. Sam Allardyce has come in. Yeah, he's made a, he's made a few changes. He's certainly made them harder to beat for a start. But there is just a, a lack of fluency about their play. And I'm not sure all of their players are in the best positions. And they might be a bit uh, heavy 
in certain positions and a, and a bit lightweight in others. So I think Leicester at home can take advantage of a, an Everton side who are lacking a bit of confidence and Leicester are a decent price. Awesome. Yeah, decent price there. Um, do you have the number on that price or it's just getting good value? Yeah, eight to five is the price on Leicester. Really? That's, that's good stuff. And now one cap off this uh, midweek slate for us here. Yeah, this is uh, quite a big match, actually. Really looking forward to this one on Wednesday night between Spurs and Manchester United. Absolutely. So Ma- Manchester United travelled to uh, Wembley for this game. And um, they're a funny old team, Manchester United, away from home. Uh, they've done all right recently, but the match, the teams they've beaten haven't really stood up to much. Uh, the aforementioned Everton, who uh, have been pretty poor, they've beaten on the road. Uh, but they have been held in a few matches, surprisingly, Manchester United. And I think they might struggle here uh, against a Spurs side who... OK, haven't been at their fluent best recently, but at Wembley, they've been putting on a bit of a show recently. Uh, United have won three or four on the road, but as I mentioned, those victories, they squeezed past Burnley, they squeezed past West Brom as well, and tripped up against Leicester, where they only drew two all. Spurs have the sixth best home record in the league. They've won four of five. Uh, they put four past Everton, five past Southampton, two past Brighton, and five past Stoke as well. So I just think at a price of 5-4, to four, I think Spurs are certainly worth siding with here. At Manchester United, they don't lose often, but I think they might come unstuck here. Love it, love it. And, you know, they're going to have Alexis Sanchez coming to the side. We're curious to see how you know that all happens, how that all flows in. He gets integrated if he does play. Um, you know, there could be a lot of, uh, you know, congestion there for, for a squad trying to figure it out. So, yeah. uh, go ahead. I guess absolutely. You, you do see this, you know, it's a big money signing. Of course, all the talk is over his wages and his transfer fee. And Manchester United fans are understandably excited as well about the transfer. But you've got to, you don't want to destroy the balance that you've already got there in the side. And yeah, like you say, it's a good point. You've got to find a way of squeezing him in and not upsetting the existing players at the club. Absolutely. So uh, that's the midweek. You like in the over in the Palace game, over 2.5, as yeah. well as, uh, what was the second one one more time? Uh, Leicester to win and Spurs to win, the other two selections. Awesome. So that, that's the midweek slate for us. And now let's spin it over to the weekend cap. Uh, what's the first game you're looking at in, over the weekend? The first one, uh, this isn't a particularly glamorous affair, I'm afraid. But um, one thing we always sort of say on uh, That's a Goal and, and when we're uh, broadcasting and tipping up things is don't be afraid of backing the draw in certain matches because you get the value and, okay, you know, it's very easy to go your home win or away win. But the draw, I think, sometimes gets overlooked. And I think Mm. West Brom against Southampton is prime draw material here. Uh, 21 to 10 is the price. Um, West Brom, who uh, did put two past uh, Brighton at the Hawthorns recently, they still don't score enough goals for my liking. And they're playing a Southampton side who they don't score enough goals either, but they have made it very difficult to, uh, to be beaten away from home. Their away form reads draw, draw, defeat, draw. Uh, They've held Watford and Manchester United and Bournemouth to draws recently, Southampton. Whereas West Brom, yes, they did pick up that home win, but prior to that, they'd drawn three in four, including one against Arsenal, one against Palace and one against Everton. So, and they only lost by one goal to Manchester United as well before that. So, neither side here are going to be easy to beat. Neither side will want to drop points against what you can probably consider a direct rival for relegation. So I just think the draw at 21 to 10 is a nice price. Yeah, and the draw is not always the sexy bet, but sometimes it's the right bet. And you also think of the mindset you're talking about here with Southampton, who when they go on the road, it appears what they're looking to do is just get a point and get out of there, do a job. And uh, yeah. Yeah, we can really see that happening. So awesome. So now spin it to the next one. Yeah, back to Manchester United here. Uh, they are playing Huddersfield at Old Trafford. 
And um, this is a short price, actually, but I think if you're putting together a few selections, then uh, this might be one to include. Manchester United to win to nil is four to six. Really? Uh, okay, at home they, you know, they keep it solid. They've got second best home form in the league. They've conceded just five goals in twelve games at home of uh, Manchester United, which is the best in the league. Uh, and I'm sure you agree. Five goals in twelve matches is mightily impressive. They Beautiful, conceded yeah. twice to Burnley. Uh, that was on Boxing Day. And then two of those other goals came against Manchester City, which, you know, judging by their season so far, we can definitely forgive that. Uh, Huddersfield away from home, their record is pretty poor, actually. Eight goals in 12 games for Huddersfield. Uh, they didn't score against Stoke. They didn't score against Leicester. OK, they notched one against Southampton. And they didn't score against Everton either. So the fact that Huddersfield don't travel well, the fact they don't score, and the fact that Manchester United keep it tight at home. Manchester United are starting at around about 2-11 to 11 for this game which is far too short for most people to get stuck into. Yeah. But I do like the 4-6, to six, which gives you a bit more value uh, and a bit more sort of scope with Manchester United to win and keep a clean sheet. Yeah, and the um, like you said, it's, uh, United's going to be coming off a big midweek, midweek game. You know, we were talking about they're potentially you know, taking a loss midweek and they're going to want to come out and probably you know, show their form, especially at home. Uh, and not concede at all. Yeah. So I like that. A lot. Yeah, they've got a big enough squad as well to rotate a bit as well, which is uh, which is always a good thing. Absolutely. So what's the uh, third and final bet here? The second hat trick, the tail end of the second hat trick here. Yeah, the third and final one. I'm uh, I'm sorry, Everton fans, but I'm going to write them off again here. Yeah. Uh, Everton away at Arsenal. I'm going to go for Arsenal minus one on the handicap here. At, it's just short of even money. It's ten to eleven. Um, I don't. I'm not a particular admirer of Arsenal this season. Yes, they've struggled, but at home they've won two of the last four. Um, they obviously came good against Crystal Palace. Yep. The fact that Alexis Sanchez isn't there anymore it may actually help them because there was certainly a, a better team spirit about this side uh, without him. There was that whole story about the divide. Some players were with him, other players weren't, um, especially when they found out that he wanted to uh, to move elsewhere. I think that's a bit of a weight off the shoulders of Arsenal. And I think at home against an Everton side, who I've gone through all those details already, I just don't rate. Um, I think Arsenal minus one at 10 to 11 is a good play. 2 0 looks like a realistic score for this game. Great. If they put three or four past Everton, even better. We're comfortable with that bet. But I think you know, to get two goals and also um, keep that lead, I think Arsenal minus one is, uh, is a good bet here. Awesome. So just recapping this weekend slate here, we got West Ham, Southampton to draw. Man yep. United to win and not concede, and Arsenal yep. minus one. Is that a game on Sunday? Uh, that's a Sunday game, yeah. Awesome, yeah. awesome. So, yeah, Jack, we really appreciate you coming on here. Uh, give it one more time where the, uh, where the uh, listeners here can follow your stuff. Yeah, all right, for the website, that's a goal.com, which has uh, Premier League, Championship, uh, you know, La Liga, lots of previews from around the world. So, right for them. I also broadcast regularly on William Hill's uh, In Play radio which uh, you can listen to uh, online and my own betting blog which i'm just starting to add a few more tips to each day is at jack of all tips on twitter awesome and you can also follow jack personally on twitter at jcritch7 so uh, jack thank you very much we look forward to having you back on the pod thank you very much enjoyed it